Here we go. Rejecting the screen, going ISO as we do every Thursday. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stanko is out west. Down south is Alex Kennedy, the longtime NBA newsbreaker. And been a while now at Hoops Hype and also the Hoops Hype podcast. Alex, what's the craziest moment you've had breaking news over the years? Oh, wow. Um, I would say covering Dwight Howard's free agency uh, during the whole Dwight Mayor was pretty insane. I've been covering the whole lead up to that in Orlando as he was, uh, you know, trying to request a trade and all the teammates and coaches and the front office were all like kind of rubbed the wrong way after the whole situation. And it was just so, it was such a long uh, journey to that point. You know, there was the talk that he wanted to go to the Nets and then he wanted to go to a large market. And there were a number of different things that almost happened. And, there were just so many crazy stories from that time because he was causing so much uh, drama and so many problems behind the scenes that everyone just wanted him gone. But it still dragged out, took forever. Uh, and then whenever he went to the Lakers, that was always that was really interesting. But then the real big one was when he had the summer when he went to the Houston Rockets. Um, it was it was kind of crazy. It was kind of similar to in recent years when you have certain people in a camp saying, like Gordon Hayward, for example, you had some people saying, hey, you know, he's going to Boston, it's official. And then you have Jim trying to clean it up because they want to announce it on their own. That kind of happened with Dwight when he was going to Houston. And it was just a, a big mess. Dwight and his manager were saying one thing. His camp was trying to have him roll it out on his Twitter and, you know, announce it on their own terms. So that's why there was a ton of misinformation. And really it was, it was a big moment, but it was more frustrating than anything just because it was, I think, 4th of July. And I think everyone wanted it to be over with. It had been dragged out for so long. And by that point, people were pretty sick of Dwight Howard in the, in the news. Uh, granted, he was the top free agent at the time. But yeah, I mean, that, that was a crazy one. Uh, I, I talked to Dwight that day. And then that night I actually got an interview with him and, talking about why he chose Houston and why he left the Lakers, but it was just a messy situation all around. But that one stands out just because I, I think I, I was probably on my phone or on my laptop for, you know, days straight uh, and just getting mixed signals from everyone involved. So how old were you at the time? 22, uh, maybe 21. I'm, not, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but when Dwight was in Orlando, I was definitely in my early twenties and, uh, or, or maybe even 19. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I started pretty young. I was 14 years old when I started covering games. I reached out to Orlando Magic and asked them if I could uh, get a credential because I wanted to see if sports writing was for me. They told me, sure, as long as you bring chaperone. <laughs> My dad would come to the games with me and we get to go to games that other journalists didn't want to cover, basically small market teams, games that were around holidays. So I started that at 14 years old. They were super helpful and, all, you know, players were so friendly. Guys like Steve Francis would pull me aside and help me out and say, you know, I think he saw that I was super nervous and didn't really want to butt in. And I never wanted to annoy the other journalists because, I mean, I can imagine even now if there was a 14-year-old that was just yelling and asking a ton of questions, I'd be pretty bothered. They're trying to do a job. So back then I was always trying to just kind of learn uh, by observing and seeing what they did. Uh, but guys like Steve Francis, um, Jameer Nelson, uh, eventually, those were guys that were super friendly to me early on. And then uh, I got my first full-time job at 18 with uh, Hoops World, which became Basketball Insiders. Uh, so that's how I started kind of traveling more and being able to break some news because I was meeting agents and executives and all that. Well, I don't know how many 14-year-olds listen to this, so I'm not going to ask you to give advice to the kids out there trying to break in, although I, maybe we can get to that later. But I am curious, though as to what you learn. You know, when we're doing this in the day-to-day, -day, 
you know, Noah and I on the on the TV production side, uh, a lot of the times there's things that that we encounter every day. They're just part of our life. So we don't think about them in those terms. But as you, someone that came in observing and trying to learn from these vets that are covering the NBA on a daily basis, what are the things that you see in terms of the interactions in the locker rooms and the relationships with the players that the fans really don't don't get to glimpse at all? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, early on, I, I just saw how many reporters and journalists were taking it for granted. I think a lot of times you get burnt out and you're doing it and just some other job. Whereas, you know, when you're a kid and you're in that locker room, it's it, does, it feels like it shouldn't even be a job. I, I was shocked that I was getting paid to not only go to the games, but then interact with the athletes and be in the locker room. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of work that comes with it, writing, doing videos, podcasts, all those things. Um, you know, that, that was something that I kind of observed. You saw certain people that were just burnt out and not, they, they take it for granted and they weren't really appreciating uh, the amazing job that they had. So that was always something that kind of stuck with me. And the other thing was just being versatile. Uh, it was, <laughs> it sounds funny now, but back then uh, it was kind of when blogs were starting to pop up. So a lot of these newspaper writers were only filing columns or game stories to the paper. And then their newspapers started asking them, hey, can you, you know, write a little blog or a little notebook for OrlandoSentinel.com or one of the different websites? And the guys were so upset and they were thinking, you know, this isn't my job. It's not my responsibility to write for the website. I write for the newspaper. And then I kind of watched as that transformation happened where they started writing for the website. And then the website started, you know, requesting videos. And I really kind of saw the importance of being able to do a lot of different things. You can't just be a writer. You have to be able to shoot videos and, you know, be in front of the camera, be behind the camera, record podcasts. You know, I kind of watched the evolution of that at a young age. And then sure enough, I, I entered a uh, uh, college at the University of South Florida around that same time. And that was the biggest thing that they stressed, you know, being able to be versatile and contribute in many other ways other than writing. So I kind of watched that evolution of the business. It was interesting. How did you balance school and covering the NBA? Yeah, I had some professors that were amazing. Um, you know, during, during, uh, you know, high school, it wasn't as difficult. Um, I, they, I really wasn't going to that many games. It would be one or two games a month. So it was just like, you know, going to a game as a fan, essentially. It's not like I was doing it day to day. Whenever I was in college, it was a little bit more difficult because I became the managing editor of Basketball Insider. So I was working really full time. But a lot of my professors were really understanding. They would let me submit uh, certain articles for, for uh, papers, which was really helpful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was always my phone in class. You know, some professors got it and they really liked it. I think they appreciated that I was trying to, you know, a lot of them were journalism classes. So they were appreciating that I was working and trying to start a career. Some of the professors weren't as friendly, but for the most part, they were, they were great. You know, I did have a, it was, it was honestly harder to balance work with, because I was working a job too. So I'd have some money because really early on when I was at Hoops World, until I really became the managing editor, I wasn't really getting paid a whole lot of money. So, you know, I worked odd jobs at, you know, Kmart worked at a water park. Uh, I was just doing anything I could to really help myself be able to pay the bills and afford a car at that age. So uh, it, was, it was always tough being at work and then constantly checking my phone and, you know, seeing, because you never know when you're, when you're trying to break news, an agent or an executive or a player may reach out to you and you're really on the clock all the time. So that was actually more difficult than, you know, being in classes. I mean, it's the definition of, of a hustle and, and of a, of a hustle paying off did you ever have to step out of class because you got a tip of some sort of breaking news 
uh, sometimes it was more it was more that I would be on my phone um, you know fortunately a lot of my classes there were a lot of students in there um, and it's, it was kind of a, like a lecture type class so I was able to okay. be on my laptop or have my have my phone um, so that was helpful um, but yeah there were definitely times where you know if the trade deadline is coming around or you know it's a week of free agency or things like that we are thinking how am I going to possibly get anything done this week in school and, and or work when I'm supposed to be focusing on NBA news. So it definitely was difficult, but I honestly, I, it's one of those things where I, like I said, I didn't really look at it as a job. I thought it was so much fun and this is what I want to be doing in my spare time anyway. So uh, it really, and, and the great thing about college versus, you know, high school, high school is you're there from, you know, 6 a.m. till 3 p.m. And, the, you know, there can't be on your phone and there's all these different rules, but in college, you know, you have one or two classes and then the rest of the day is yours to do whatever you want. So it, it was nice having that flexible schedule. Alex, um, you mentioned some of the the players that were kind to you when you were you were first starting out. But I'm always curious about. You just mentioned it. You you get a call from an agent, or you get a call from an executive, or they shoot you a text, or what have you, and you know have some inf- inside information. When and who did you start developing those types of bonds and relationships with, and and how did you do that? Yeah, so eventually I actually started writing for Real GM. That was I wasn't getting paid, but for exposure, I started writing at Real GM uh, before I went over to Hoops World, and, and that became Basketball Insiders. So when I was at Real GM, I think a lot of the executives and agents read that site, so they you know kind of learned my name. And so when I would call, it really, I remember over the summer during free agency, I was just really wanting to break some news or get some kind of information. So I just started cold calling different numbers I found online for all the different agencies and leaving messages with secretaries, leaving voicemails. And I was just calling everyone asking for information. And I do have to say, you know, I I feel like because I was so young, I want to say I was probably 16 or 17 at the time. I think a lot of agents uh, took, took advantage of me and tried to give me, you know, false information or they had an agenda and they wanted me to spread their news or spread something that would help their negotiations and give them leverage. And that was a, I remember there was an agent that was talking to me about, I think it was Carlos Arroyo, or, you know, and he was talking about multiple teams that had interest. And then one of the teams went to a beat writer and said, it's not true. So those were some things that I had to learn publicly. And that was embarrassing, honestly. And there's, and you never want to get stories wrong, but unfortunately I was, you know, 17, 16 years old, uh, putting this information out there. And then uh, honestly, I learned a lot during that period because there were certain stories that I would get wrong and I would just be kicking myself and be so frustrated and thinking, well, why did I trust this person? It really helped me, you know, learn who to trust and who not to trust. There are, there are agents I talked to back then. Derek Powell was a great example of one of the agents that I got to know when I was really young. Um, one of my big first stories that I broke and was followed was DJ uh, Watson. He accepted a qualifying offer from the Warriors, and he was going through free agency. And uh, I was able to follow that story and break a lot of news there. So there were certain agents that were amazing, and then certain agents that you know would feed me lies, and I put it out there, and then it hurt my reputation. It hurt my, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people started questioning when I put things out there, and I don't blame them. But it was frustrating. Now, yeah, part of me wishes that I had learned those things before I started breaking news, because I'm sure there are still some people out there that think, oh, he got. X, Y, and Z song, and you know I'm being judged now for things I was putting out there when I was a teenager, and that's frustrating. You know, I wish I could have learned those things uh, not so publicly, and uh, it, mm-hmm. it was definitely tough. But um, you know, it's not how it worked out. So 
uh, it, w- it would have been nice, but there were also benefits of starting that young and being able to, you know, gain experience. And, you know, there were definitely lessons learned from that period of time. Were there any writers that helped legitimize you or on the flip side, try to bring you down? Well, you know, guys that tried to help me, Brian Schmitz from the Orlando Sentinel was so friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Winhurst was amazing to me. He was someone that started very young. I believe he was the youngest NBA beat writer at one point. So he kind of understood what it's like being the youngest person in the room. And he was always super friendly and giving me advice and things like that. Um, Ramona Shelburne was so friendly. Um, mm-hmm. They did a, uh, a Sports Illustrated article about uh, it was like a media column. They talked about up-and-coming writers, and she mentioned me and some others, and that was really sweet. Uh, it was honestly a lot more people being nice than anything. Um, that's good. No one was mean to my face, fortunately. Yeah, that, that's good. And, and also, you're doing all of this while battling Crohn's disease. And, and how, is, how is that getting in the, the way of just everyday living? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 12 years old, um, and I— uh, Actually, for part of middle school, I had to do Florida virtual school, which is like a homeschooling thing. So honestly, I think that is part of the reason why I was so willing to go request credentials for games. And I had a lot of time because I would just get all my work done you know, over the course of a few hours on a mm-hmm. Monday. And then if I, I could work ahead if I wanted to, but then I'd have the rest of the week to kind of do what I wanted to. So I was able to go pursue these different, uh, you know, journalism type things. Um, I was only not only going to magic games, I was also reaching out to player publicists and trying to get one-on-one interviews either over the phone or in person. And uh, I actually, this is a story that I wrote about on Hoopsite recently. I reached out to Kobe Bryant's publicist and uh, it was when I was 16 years old. So I've been doing it for about two years and we had been going back and forth for a few months. I sent her way too many emails, more than I'm proud to admit. Um, and uh, she hmm. was very friendly. And she said, when we're coming to Orlando, Kobe's doing this after-school All-Stars event. He's getting a key to the city, which to this day I'm kind of shocked by. I, 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 it was kind of strange at the time. I was surprised that they gave the key to the Orlando. But um, he was he was amazing. There was a charity event. He's worked with after-school All-Stars for – he was working for them for, for many years. So um, he talked to – you know, there was hundreds of kids there in the uh, the old Amway uh, arena. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then after he talked to the kids and did his little event, they let me have a few minutes with Kobe one-on-one. So we talked about, you know, things he does in the community. And he was so friendly to me. You know, I mentioned Steve Francis as being one of those guys that went out of his way to help me. Kobe, at that time, he was maybe the best player in the NBA. Uh, and he had no reason to talk to a teenager. I could not help him in any way. I didn't – it's not like he wanted to press or anything like that. He was just so friendly and helped me a ton. Uh, and fortunately, he, he came on the Hoopsite podcast a year and a half ago. He randomly followed me on Twitter. We started DMing. I was able to thank him for being so friendly when I was a, when I was a kid. And then mm-hmm. uh, he came on the podcast, and we had a great, you know, 30, 35-minute conversation. And it we went, was. You know, it, it, was, it was so much fun. And mm-hmm. uh, I was glad I was able to, you know, thank him for, for that. That's an amazing story, actually. I, uh, another Laker that uh, – well, former Laker that um, – you had an interaction with Larry Nance Jr. Um, your connection to Larry Nance Jr. And, and that whole story. Can you tell us that? Yeah, so he was diagnosed with Crohn's when he was around the same age. I want to say he was 15, uh, so he was a few years older. But he talked about, you know, he, you, you, when you're diagnosed with Crohn's, you have to figure out what foods trigger you and what things trigger you. For me, it's always been, you know, like tomato sauce triggers me. And that's why I get really, really stressed. 
uh, it can cause a flare-up as well. And then you do the flare-up, typically what happens is you try to treat it at home by going on like a liquid diet and then you know, you take steroids, and if that doesn't work, you have to be hospitalized for a few days, and they give you IV steroids, sometimes IV antibiotics, and it's just a, it's really more annoying than anything, because it can be out of nowhere. You can be, there's been times where I'm, you know, getting ready to cover the NBA draft, and then suddenly it flares up, and I'm in the hospital. It's just so frustrating. Uh, but yeah, he was diagnosed around the same time, um, and uh, then he had a huge growth spurt, um, and became this amazing player. He was kind of a late bloomer because of that. He was so tired before and really short. And when when you have Crohn's disease, your body doesn't grow normally because you're using so many nutrients and stuff to fight the disease. So whenever he started taking the medication, his body was all of a sudden kind of able to unleash its full potential. And he became this huge, amazing basketball player. But it was so late that only Wyoming recruited him. So he goes to Wyoming, eventually, you know, works his way up to becoming a first round pick for the Lakers. And yeah, we met when he was at Wyoming. We both, because we were both uh, growing up with Crohn's around the same time, we both looked uh, looked up to, uh, David Rod was a quarterback with Crohn's disease and he had, you know, multiple surgeries and then was able to come back within a year and continue playing at a high level. So uh, we both looked up to him and then I was able to introduce him to David and they started the foundation together. And yeah, we really bonded over that. You know, there's not many people out there that understand that struggle. Um, Unless you have it or have a relative that has Crohn's disease, it's kind of difficult. So, uh, yeah, we bonded over that. To this day, we're still good friends. Uh, and he's been, you know, doing amazing. He seems to have uh, – he, he's, he's, his medications are really working. He hasn't had any flare-ups that interrupted his NBA career. That's awesome to see. He's actually started a patient. But basically, he links up kids with Crohn's with athletes who have Crohn's, and they mentor them. Um, and it's an awesome thing. I wish I had had it when I was a kid. Uh, but he uh, he has that Crohn's Foundation, and he's inspiring kids all over the world. And not only that, but also mentoring them directly with other athletes with Crohn's. So it's very cool to see. Yeah, athletesvscrohns.org yeah, is the uh, is, is the website. Athletes vs Crohn's. That's C R O H N S dot org. With the this will be out on Thursday, and the trade deadline is Thursday afternoon. Have there been deals in the past that? you were close to reporting and then just couldn't get the confirmation on that still, that still haunts you a little bit. Yeah. There are, there are always those situations where, you know, you want to report something and then you're trying to get that second source. And now, especially being at USA today, who owns Hoopsype, they have a really strict sourcing policy where you need to make sure you have a certain number of sources that are confirming it and, you know, run it up the ladder. And, you know, as people know with NBA news, if you're, you know, sometimes 10 seconds late, then Woj or Shams or one of these other guys has it. So it can be it can be very frustrating. The one that really stands out, there was um it was the trade that involved, I believe it was Eric Bledsoe, JJ Reddick, and Jared Dudley. I think it was a three team deal, but I think it was the one that sent uh sent JJ to the Clippers for uh-huh. Yeah, anyway, so I was on the Dan Levitard show at the time. It was my first time ever on that show and I was super nervous already. And really excited to be able to talk to him. And then as I was on the the call, I'm getting a million texts. And toward the end of the interview, Dan's like, "Oh, we have a trade. You know, here's uh, here's the details. Can you break this down for us, Alex?" And I'm like, "Oh, wow!" So we start breaking it down. Then I hang up the call and I look at my text. And one of the players that was in the trade had texted me all the details like multiple times, giving me permission to put uh. it out there. And I was like, "Oh, if I had just been, you know, sitting there and not on that call, or if that call ended a few minutes earlier." I would have broke it because I was looking at the timestamps and it was 
I would have had it by, you know, five minutes. And that was a frustrating one because, you know, typically it, it depends on who the source is. If it's the player involved or the GM involved, sometimes you can, you know, talk to the people, uh, you know, hide the higher ups and tell them, hey, this is definitely happening. We're good to go. So that was a tough one for sure. Does JJ still text you? JJ, so he uh, he talks to me every now and then. He's been on the podcast. He was an amazing guest. Um, it wasn't JJ that texted me, though. I will say that. I'm not going to say who it was, but JJ is a really good dude. It's funny. We were just talking about Eric Bledsoe and JJ Redick because we got into a discussion. Noah brought up the point that this NBA Finals will be the Kareem NBA Finals, the two teams that you know he was famous well, for playing be, right. for. Potentially, yeah, potentially, right. obviously, right, we don't can't predict the future. But uh, I, so I said, I, you know, I think if it's the Clippers Bucks, then it's the JJ Redick or Eric Bledsoe final. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, funny that you just brought those guys up again. So. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's all, all all in the same realm. Um, uh, JJ Redick was a he he used to mention hoops hype all the time. Do you still yes. get that from players that I'm um, just you know on on trade deadline day or, or you know over the summer I'm just refreshing hoops hype all the time. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I definitely notice it more now that I'm with Hoopsite. You know, I was one of those people that grew up reading Hoopsite every single day and refreshing it. So to be able to work there is a dream. And then, yeah, you, you, there's been players, you know, JJ said that. I remember one, one day on the day of the trade, or one year on the trade deadline, Kevin Durant was saying, I'm trying to avoid it, but I've been on Hoopsite all day refreshing it. And that was a really cool one for, you know, the company. Yeah, there have been a lot of players that, not only talk about it, but then when I'll be at games or, you know, talking over the phone, they'll say, dude, I read hoops all the time. You know, uh, I, I love reading the rumors page. And then one that's cool is, you know, the rumors page, they have different articles and videos that are by the hoops contributors uh, sprinkled throughout the rumors page. So I think more people in the league read my stuff now, too, just because, you know, they come across the headline, they like, or a video they see, and then they'll, you know, find my work that way. So, yeah, I mean, I'm blown away not only by the players, but tons of executives, too. I mean, it's uh, I think they just want, want to go to one place to be able to read all the rumors. It's all compiled in one place, everything from Twitter and newspapers and different websites. So, yeah, I'm blown away by it. There's so many people that read Hoopsite, and definitely now that I'm you know with them, I see it a lot more and hear it a lot more, and it's a very cool thing. I mean, they've worked extremely hard to build this super credible, amazing brand, and, yeah, I'm proud to work there. It's awesome. Because you have so much access to information and because, like you said, players and executives are, are paying attention to it, how much do they try to hit you up for what their future looks like? I mean, from the executive standpoint, obviously, so they can make further deals or, or hold certain players. And meanwhile, for the players, it, it could mean, you know, that they're moving to a new city. Yeah, you know, I hear from players a lot more, just to be honest. There are executives that reach out, and it's typically to hear more about what other teams are doing. Like, oh, what are you hearing about these teams mm -hmm. or this player's availability? Typically, the rule that I always think is funny with executives is they'll talk about every other team but their own. You know, there's obviously exceptions to that. They'll talk about their team sometimes, but they're usually wondering about other teams or, you know, sharing what other teams are doing. With players, they're always focused on, you know, their free agency or their draft stock. You hear from a lot of agents and players around the draft who are wondering, why am I low on this mock draft? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know that person. Why are you asking me? But they are always concerned about their draft stock. And I think now, especially with Twitter and, you know, the social media being so big, it's hard for players to avoid mock drafts or free agency rumors or any of these things. So, you know, years ago, I think more guys were just tuning it out and saying, my agent will handle this. Now I think so many guys, especially guys that are younger, that grew up 
following free agency rumors and draft rumors. They're excited now have their name mentioned in it. So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely had that happen. One player in particular, uh, Jamal Crawford, actually, he would reach out and say, hey, you know, what do you think I'm going to get? How much money does this team have? And I was like, no, this is what you pay your agent for, dude. Like, call your agent right now. <laughs> but um, they would just ask different questions. And uh, it's always fun. You know, it's cool to be able to talk to these guys and see what they're thinking. And I've learned a lot just about what that process is like for guys and, you know, the different factors they consider and that kind of stuff just by talking to these guys. And it's usually, you know, not for an article. It's just, you know, I, I've built relationships with them and, you know, they just want to talk something out or go over stuff. So, yeah, it's it's really cool to kind of, see the uh, the process like that behind the scenes. Yeah, and you've written a lot about this stuff now at Hoopsype doing more of the features and take people behind the curtain that, I mean, more more so than you've done in the past because it, it is less breaking news. So can, can you talk about how your job has changed? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I really enjoy the behind the scenes type stuff. Whenever I was a kid, I got interested in this stuff. It was always wanting to know, okay, what happens during free agency? What happens during a, uh, you know, these recruiting meetings and uh, what happens when you get traded in the middle of the season. So that's one thing that I've been doing way more of at Hoopsite. And part of it is because there's less of a focus on breaking news there, which is honestly amazing. It's so much less stressful. Before, like I said, you're always on call when you're breaking news. So I'd be at a movie with my wife and then my phone starts going off and then it's like, okay, well, I got I to run out to the hallway. And it's just so frustrating because you're never off duty. But now with this stuff, Basically, I have a deadline and put together these long-form features. And it's a lot of just hearing what happens behind the scenes. I'll talk to players, agents, executives. Sometimes it's on the record. Sometimes we want to share, you know, get them to share really sensitive information. It's off the record. Um, but, yeah, they've been so much fun to work on. I've learned a ton, too. You know, when you're working in this business for a long time, you think, oh, okay, I know how free agency works or how a trade works. But these executives, because they're doing it every day and they have such a different perspective on it, you, I've learned so much from doing these these articles and it's been a lot of fun to work on them um one that we just did recently my most recent one i went to indiana and spent time with kevin pritchard and chad buchanan and they walked me through you know the whole organization uh, i got to go in the war room and tour the whole facility and uh, talk to their players the coaches uh it was really interesting it was basically behind the scenes look at their whole organization how they created their culture you know the unique challenges that come with being in a small market um and then we really like look back on their Paul George trade, which at the time, I mean, they were criticized so much for, you know, getting quote unquote ripped off and not getting enough back for Paul George. And now if you look back at that deal, they got Victor Lodipo and Demantis bonus. So, I mean, mm -hmm. they got, they got so much in that deal. Uh, so it was interesting to kind of talk about that as well, but yeah, the behind the scene, the top behind the scenes long forms are uh, my favorite thing to do. You know, Alex, I was going to ask you about that, that piece as I read through it and it was, it's awesome. And it was a great detailed account of sort of what goes on with with the Pacers and one of the things that I that I found just fascinating was this idea that the players told the management essentially that they want to be informed when they're getting traded and they they want transparency and you just don't hear that around the league so how surprising was that to you to hear that the Pacers actually did that and then maybe you can expand upon you know, how they are, are going about making sure that, that these guys are in the loop. Yeah, I was very surprised when Chad Buchanan said it, and it was all on the record. Chad said it, and, you know, he he was like, yeah, I don't know how other teams do things, but here's how we do it. And I was shocked at thinking, wow, this is 
I don't think this has been out there before. I'm like, you know, thinking as he's talking, and I don't think he thought anything of it because that's just their way of doing things. But basically, back in 2017, it was shortly after the Boston Celtics traded Isaiah Thomas after his sister passed away, and I think a lot of players felt a certain way about that. They were thinking, wow, like front offices, we can't trust them. We can be so loyal to organization, and they can just turn their back on us immediately. So I think a lot of players had very strong emotions about this at that time. Um, but basically, that's when Chad Buchanan was hired as GM and when Kevin Pritchard was promoted to president of basketball operations. So they sat down with each of their players and said, how can we be a better organization? How can we be a player-friendly front office? We want to have a great relationship. And Darren Collison was actually the one who said, look what just happened with Boston and Isaiah Thomas. We don't trust you guys. If players, just to be completely honest, don't trust front offices. And then they asked, okay, well, how can we fix that? And Darren Collison said, you know, Anytime I've been traded or teammates have been traded, they find out about it late from the front office. It's always, you know, on Twitter or on ESPN or things like that. So we want to know if we're being involved in trade talks before the deal happens even. And at first, the Pacers were kind of, uh, we're not sure how that would work. And they tried to explain to the players, look, there's trade discussions that happen all the time. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly talking with teams, and that doesn't mean they're serious. But if we are at the five-yard line, we could give you guys a call. If a trade seems like it's going to get done, then we'll give you a call and we'll inform you. But you have to agree you're going to stay committed and be all in with the team because that was the biggest thing. A lot of these times the executives don't want trade talks to get out because they're worried how the player will feel if the trade doesn't go through and they have to return to that locker room. You know, we've seen times in the past where deals have been vetoed or they fell apart, but it leaked, and then players respond very poorly, Lamar Odom being the biggest example I can think of. Um, there are just a lot of examples of that. So that's why executives are always denying stuff. You know, they'll, they'll deny stuff that's true even because they're scared that the player is going to be upset and it's going to affect their commitment to the team or how they're playing. So basically they said, look, we'll, we'll inform you if there's anything that's a close, close to happening, but you have to promise that you're going to respect the fact that we told you and just stay committed, stay all in. And the players said, yeah, we can do that. They talked to Collison, Thaddeus Young, Al Jefferson, Corey Joseph. It was during that that time, and all the players agreed. They said, that sounds great. And in that following year, in 2017-18, there were two trades that almost happened. They told the players, and then both deals fell apart, but the players remained committed. They were super appreciative that the front office held up their you know side of the bargain and uh, and told them what was happening, and they haven't had a problem since. You know, Every player that's been informed has stayed committed, so it seems to be working really well. I think other teams are should adopt that as well. You know, leadership is is a two-way street. And so that part of it was, I think, so fascinating that you brought up is that, hey, if this does fall through, you also need to stay committed on the back end, like you said. And I, I think that is fascinating. But you know what? You talk to NBA guys, and, and Noah and I, you know, get to speak to a, a fair share. And they'll tell you they they believe in transparency that's what drives them crazy is when is when coaches and front office folks aren't honest with them and and that also leads to a point that i just wanted to bring up and that's just this idea i thought it was so great that you that you got the pacers to open up because i think usually organizations are so secretive about this stuff even writers don't talk about guys that they had potential deals for and they don't want to break their sources and all that kind of stuff but what people don't realize is that when you write pieces like this and shed this light on what the Pacers organization is doing, it just gets them more fans. And it, it, it becomes this like inclusive thing where, hey, listen, the more you learn about our, our organization, the more likely you are to root for us next time. And I thought that's you did a hell of a job with, with that piece in, in, in doing that. 
Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. Yeah, when they when they uh, we started talking about doing this this piece, they were so open and you know invited me out to Indiana. So I spent a few days with them and got to see yeah the organization from top to bottom, and I was blown away by that. And part of it, I think, is because you're in Indiana and it's a small market, they don't receive the kind of media attention that maybe they deserve as a team that's done very well in recent years in the Eastern Conference. So they were very open, and yeah, I mean, they they told me so much, and I really enjoyed it. I have so many. We're gonna do a podcast actually, you know, talking about a podcast episode breaking down a lot of the stuff that wasn't in the article. Actually, the article I turned in was like nine thousand words, just because <laughs> I had so much information. And I was like, okay, there's no way we can run this. So how do we possibly turn this down? So there's so much stuff that wasn't even included that I think we're gonna do a podcast episode kind of breaking that stuff down. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think the fans. The fans that read it from Indiana, they seem to love it and love what the organization is doing. I think it makes you feel really good about the direction of the organization when you know about these things that they have in place and the way that they're kind of, you know, developing their culture and developing their team. All right, let's hit some quick hits. The one-on-one interview that you haven't gotten yet that you're looking for. LeBron James. After we had Kobe Bryant on the podcast, I started reaching out to his camp and he's a very busy guy, (laughs) not surprisingly. Um, but yeah, I would love to have some time with LeBron James. What was the hardest question that you've ever had to ask? Oh man. Um, there were times where I'd be working on stuff at the NBA draft combine and, you know, players or their families have gotten in trouble for certain violations of the NCAA rules. And, you know, there were times where USA Today or the higher-ups would say, hey, we're doing a piece on this. You're the only one there. You need to ask this really hard question. And the players don't want to talk about it. They're, it's the last thing they want to discuss. They're trying to avoid it and dodge it, but you have to ask it. And, and those kind of things are tough whenever the player or the person you're interviewing, just that's the last thing they want to discuss, and they're dreading being asked about it. And you have to be the one to ask that question. That's tough. From, from all these feature stories that you've been writing, is there one – that you think you could break out into a book? Oh, that's a good question. I've thought I've thought about doing a book. So I've done some things in the past where I've followed players throughout their high school journey and then college journey, and then when they get drafted. And I actually had talks to do a book about taking five or six players and following them for you know the few years from high school phenom to you know their rookie season. And I had a few players linked onto it. And then it just didn't happen, which was really, really frustrating. But I'm hoping in the future that I can do something like that. Or just, I think, a book that would take uh, each chapter and have a new behind the scenes of a certain process. So you have one on free agency, one on the trade deadline, you know, one on um, coaching hires. I think Mm -hmm. that could be really interesting. It would just have to be, it would just take so much time. I'm very intimidated about writing a book. I get very overwhelmed and think that it's going to be very hard to put together. But I think it would be a lot of fun. It's definitely my bucket list. I asked about advice for 14-year-olds, so now's your chance. 14-year-old comes to you and says, hey, I want to get into this. The very first thing you tell them to do is? Read a ton. That was something that I did. I was able to read a lot. Um, guys like Jack McCollum, Adrian Wojnowski, Danny Winhurst. I read all of their stuff. I read Sports Illustrated every single week. Uh, I was spending so much of my time reading, and I think that's how you become a good writer and kind of learn how to you know approach different articles uh that was something that really helped me and then just kind of i was very lucky that i knew what i wanted to do at 13 14 years old i don't think most of my friends didn't have that in their in mind they were you know still trying to figure out their path in college so i would say the earlier you can figure out 
you know, what you want to lock into and pursue, you definitely have an advantage because then, you know, you have 10 years of experience and people are just entering the, the uh, industry or starting their path in terms of their career. So that was huge for me. But could someone right now start doing what you did back at 14? I really do think so. I think with social media, it's easier now because, you know, you can reach out to players and executives and people directly. You can also reach out to journalists easier and, you know, get advice and things like that. I think, you know, social media definitely helps. Social media was, you know, around when I was getting started. I remember I signed up for Twitter when I was at um, the Pointer Institute High School Journalism Conference, and they can, they encouraged everyone, hey, this is going to be huge in the future. Sign up now. So I was fortunate to be, you know, one of the early people on Twitter because they kind of, you know, pushed us in that direction and let us know what it could be. And, you know, I remember early on, whenever Sham Sharania was in uh, high school, he was messaging me on Facebook and saying, hey, you know, I want to go cover some games. Uh, he was in Chicago at the time. So, I mean, he was able to go cover some games. And then um, he went to Real GM eventually. And I, you know, I gave him the guy's contact information, the editor-in-chief. So, you know, Shams is a guy like me who started super young. And he's become just an amazing reporter, has this incredible career. So I do think reaching out to journalists and then getting to know players and, and coaches and executives online is definitely an advantage. Like I said, I was cold calling agencies from just their website, phone numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, so I definitely think it, someone could do this today. I was going to ask you actually if you and Shams, because you are the two most notable and, and talented young uh, reporters on the NBA. I was wondering if you guys like prank call each other and stuff and had this crazy behind the scenes. <laughs> he actually, he just came on my podcast last night. Mm -hmm. It's so funny yep. that you mentioned that. Yeah, he was, he joined me last night. Um, yeah, we've gotten to know each other over the years and um, there is competition there for sure when you're talking about breaking news, but it's friendly competition. And then he was nice enough to come on the podcast last night and share a ton of, you know, trade rumors and things like that, which was awesome. But he's, I mean, he's a, Great, great guy, and just super ambitious. I'm so impressed by what he's been able to do over the years. Awesome to see. Yeah, it was a it was a cool podcast. People should definitely check that out. Before we let you go, this is the Rejecting the Screen podcast, so we always like to ask our guests: end of game situation, you need a bucket. Who do you go to of all the guys you've covered in your 50 years? <laughs> uh, uh, who do you who do you go to guys that you have covered who would you go to for to reject the screen go iso and go get you a bucket must win situation if we're talking all time i'm thinking kobe bryant i think he would i mean you can't really go wrong there super clutch i mean he's gonna freak out if he doesn't get the ball in that situation um <laughs> in terms of current players damian miller i'm He's playing out of his mind right now. I met Damian when he was at Weber State his sophomore year. He was in his dorm, and we did a long phone interview. And at that time, he was expected to go, I think, 55 to 60 in the draft. And uh, it was right after he had that injury during his freshman season uh, or the beginning of his sophomore season. So his draft stock was way down. So we got, we got to know each other really well throughout college. I was in college at the same time. And that was something that was always great, too, and to kind of – bond with players and you know you're liking the same things in terms of movies and music and so that one kind of helped me too being around the same age as players but what he's been able to do you know i was impressed at that time seeing him climb from you know possible undrafted guy to number six overall and then to see the kind of career he's put together it's just tremendous and he's playing out of his mind right now and is incredibly clutch so damien's probably my current guy i'm going to give the ball to all right well similar to yours 
All right, he's Alex Kennedy. We met way back when he was at Basketball Insiders. We we did a whole lot of interviews together, and I always appreciated just the way Alex has hustled to get where he is and the work ethic. And and it is nothing is is overshadowed just the fact that Alex has just always been just a genuine, sincere, good guy. So you can check him out at at hoopsype.com and also the podcast, the Hoopsite Podcast. Alex, thanks so much, pal. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the kind words, guys. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. The epitome of hustle is what Alex Kennedy has done. Wanted to see if he truly wanted to be part of the business at age 14 and would drive the hours to the Atlanta Magic game with his father and then cold calling agents at such a young age before he's even graduated high school and then doing it in college and then working odd jobs, be able to pay for a car and then just to be able to get to different places. And now where he is at Hoops Hype is it's an inspiration and it's and on top of battling Crohn's disease. Working in sports is not glamorous. It seems to be, and it seems fun. And we each have it can be. It can be glamorous for sure. But I guess my, my point is a career in sports is not glamorous, is what I is how I would phrase it. And what I would say by that, what I mean by that is people see parts of it. And we each have friends and family and people that we come into contact with that are like, oh, that'd be great. Or I could be a great play-by-play guy. Or I used to get all the time friends hitting me up like, oh, my friend really wants to do this. They'd love to get into it. And the moment that you tell them about some pitfall along the way, uh, some roadblock, that's when the interest wanes. Like, oh, you want to do this? Well, you're going to have to move to a small market. Or, oh, you want to do this? It's going to require some hustle. Or... And all the guys that I've come across who have made it on some level of success have stories about the frustrations they had, but they just kept at it. And all the times they just kept pursuing it, kept pursuing it. And Alex is the greatest example of that. Like, yeah, it's one thing to say at 14, like, I'm going to go to games with my dad. I'd like to meet some NBA players and cover the NBA. Like, sure, that, that part's awesome. But it's all the other stuff he talked about after that, again, while battling Crohn's disease, as you say, is just remarkable. And he deserves all the credit for the success that he's had. Yeah, turning it into a successful career is a completely another story than just giving this a shot and seeing where it goes. I mean, you got to put real hard work into making it a career. It's not just it's not just another job. All right. So you're listening to this. This we recorded on Tuesday afternoon and it's being released on Thursday. The trade deadline coming up Thursday afternoon. So if you're interested in the national perspective on that, make sure you're listening to Locked On NBA five days a week. The national show also Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd. So you'll get the fantasy angle from all these different trades coming up. And then, of course, every single team on the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast, like 20, 30 minutes, real easy to digest everything that's going on with every single team around the league. So that's every single team every day on Lockdown. He's Adam Stanko. You can find him on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays is 25, 30 minutes of us just talking hoops and a little bit of life. And then Thursday, we go ISO with someone connected to the NBA, like Alex Kennedy, like Richard Jefferson, like Sam Mitchell, and a host of others. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.